I'm Jason Kelly. Welcome to the Bloomberg Business Week Extra. It's our weekly podcast bringing you an in-depth conversation you won't hear anywhere else. This week, I caught up with Liz Tran. She's the founder of Reset. She came from the world of venture capital, worked over at Thrive Capital. They've backed the likes of Spotify and Instagram. Well, now she has created a new wellness space in New York City for busy professionals, companies and individuals alike. Here's that conversation. So tucked onto a quiet street in downtown Manhattan a city where there's a lot of anxiety, to say the least. There is an oasis of calm. It is the domain of Liz Tran. She's the founder of Reset. She's here with me in New York. Great to see you. Great to see you, too. All right, take us there. What is the genesis of this? What's going on there at Reset? Yeah, so Reset is a place where we're actually uniting all forms of professional and personal growth. So think about this way, on any given day, we might have a team of executives from a startup coming in to learn about team dynamics and then close with a sound bath for them and then in the evening have breath work or astrology sessions. So it's basically the spectrum from career coaching and professional development all the way through the more holistic areas of meditation, sound bath, breath work, et cetera. All right, so much to get into on this, sort of how it works, but let's talk about sort of how you got here. Um, this was not necessarily the path you set out for yourself, uh, but here you are, you've had some incredibly high profile jobs, especially as it relates to startups and venture capital. Uh, take us through the Liz Tran journey. Yeah, so uh, about four years ago, I started at a venture capital firm called Thrive Capital. Um, Thrive is great. It's one of the leading venture capital firms in the US. We've invested in companies like Spotify and Instagram and ClassPass. And my job was essentially to work with the founders and all the people who worked at those companies to help them scale from 10-person micro startup to 500-person unicorn company within two, three years. So what I was doing was studying how our companies were doing that and then creating playbooks and content around that. And something that I noticed was that when I was building these deep relationships with the CEOs, the executive teams, People loved their jobs almost to the point where there was no separation of identity between what they did and who they were. And so all of the ups and downs that they experienced in their work played out in who they were and how they felt about themselves as well. And I remember just the first time I sat down with someone who I really respected, who had done an amazing job running product at one of our companies over the course of five years. and. He basically just said, I don't know what I'm going to do with my life. I don't know who I am. And should I take a job at Facebook? Should I start my own company? And there was this real question mark of who his identity was right. because so much of that was taken up with his job. And then over the past few years at Thrive, I realized that while the work I was doing was valuable in terms of our companies being more successful, I wanted to do something that sort of focused on a more um, personal level of humanity in order to help people who are on paper really successful also find that sense of deep calm and purpose in their lives. Right. And one of the things that it feels like you are seeing, because you and I have visited uh, before and I've had a chance to, to spend some time with you uh, down at Reset and, and take part in some of this, it, one of the things I think you discovered also was that you had a lot of ultra successful people who were unprepared for all that was coming at them, not just emotionally, but professionally as well, and sort of how to build a framework with even how to deal with other human beings. Yes, exactly. And there's such a narrow toolkit that I think is available to professionals, and that's essentially coaching. It is different um, 
books that you can read. It's uh, different courses that you can take on leadership. But as we know, a great leader is also a great person on the inside in the way that you interact with your team is also the same way that you communicate with your wife and your children. And so there's this whole need for people to, in order to be even more successful in their careers, to also tackle some of that personal stuff as well. Well, and it also feels like in that sense, maybe we're expecting more from leaders right now, because I think if you go back 30, 40 years, we might not have expected, you know, the sort of man, and it almost always was a man in the in the corner office, really to necessarily be a good human being as long as he was, you know, getting uh, the results for shareholders and whatnot. We seem to have higher expectations. Is that fair? Yeah, definitely. It's because the growth rate that's expected is so much different. It's so much steeper. If you think about our average founder who is starting with us early stage, maybe they're 26. They've had one job before. Maybe they haven't. And they're expected within two, three years to be running a company that's several hundred people and valued you know, well above a billion dollars. And for any person, that's just way too fast. And so you really do have to dig in. And in order to make your growth rate look like this, a really steep growth curve, then you have to be doing all the personal work as well. And I think if you're kind of holding the status quo, then you don't have to dig as deeply because you know, you're growing slowly, you're growing over time, um, but you're not, you don't have this sort of manic pace that's right. expected of you. So we're going to talk about some of the advice and counsel that you give to other people. But take us to that moment where you made the decision, which obviously was a big one, to leave this very successful firm, well-known. You talked about some of the companies that Thrive has backed, to go out on your own. I mean, there's some significant risk involved there. Yeah. I, well... There's a couple things. First, I'll put my investor hat on, and then I'll put my personal hat on. But the first thing is that during deal flow, we would look at all these companies, and there were more and more popping up that were in the holistic space. So you have all these astrology apps that are raising a ton of money and have these crazy, um, this crazy data around their monthly active users. And then you also have companies that are really focused on well-being, like Moon Juice and Goop, that are actually doing really well. And so I thought, okay, well, there's this macro shift that's happening in the world um, and there's also a micro shift that's happening in the world where individuals want something deeper in their lives and I think it's honestly we're moving away from sort of peak boutique which is what you and I talked about where fitness is everywhere now fitness is a huge industry and I thought you know the same is going to happen for wellness the same is going to happen for self-care because we're really just ascending Maslow's hierarchy of needs mm -hmm. and so the part of me that really believes in the future of this was like you know this is actually a fundamentally sound business decision it may not seem like it now to a lot of people but you actually have to get in early when everyone thinks you're crazy because then your timing is actually perfect and right. that's another lesson I learned from venture capital as well right and then the second part of me um, is the part that has been using all these practices for the past decade. In 2012, I actually went and lived on an ashram in India and studied yoga, studied meditation, and it created this solid foundation for my own personal spiritual life that made me so great at my job in these high-pressure environments, working with um, these great executives, some of the smartest people I've ever met in my whole life. And I had this real sense of who I was. My ego was separate from the work that I did, and it made me better at my job. And just in achieving success at Thrive after you know almost four years there and getting to a point where I thought, you know, I set out to accomplish all these great things. I did them. I built a great team. 
what's next for me? So I was experiencing that same sort of trajectory where, you know, you go through all the needs on Maslow's hierarchy of needs and then you hit achievement and then afterwards it's self-actualization. And that was the step where I thought, if I don't do it now, when am I going to do it? Right. And what are we here for if not to help help others and change the world? All right. So how do you help them? People come to you, their companies, their individuals. How does it work? Yeah. So we work with corporate clients and we sit down and always do a one hour intake with them and we talk about what their biggest challenges are. And I generally am wearing my business hat at that point. That's the entry point where people feel most comfortable. And then I start to ask questions with my understanding of how um, there are different pit pitfalls and challenges that you can face when you're in a startup. And then as the relationship deepens over this hour call, then I start to ask more personal questions about how the team is functioning, how they're functioning, how they're doing. And I sort of use my intuition to design a program for them. And it always falls somewhere on the spectrum from more holistic and new agey to more business oriented. And every client is going to get somewhere along that spectrum, whether it's 90, 10, 50, 50, et cetera. Um, And so with our clients, we generally do full day workshops where they're bringing their whole executive team in or whole department in to work work on some business challenge. So right now we have a lot of clients coming in for Q4. We're gearing up for Q4, the most important sales quarter of the year, and people want to feel really focused and really connected to the mission of what their company is. And then for individuals, we have evening classes and weekend classes, and it's the same thing. It's everything from planning your dream career up through using the energies astrologically to enter a new portal. Right. And so I have to think when you talk about things like using a new energy, new portals, all of those sorts of things. There has got to be a segment, especially the corporate population, that says, you have got to be kidding me. (laughs) I am not setting foot in this. And even when they get there, either physically or figuratively, they've got their arms folded and they are closed off to this. What do you do in that situation? Yeah, you know, I actually find that people are more receptive to it than you would think, especially because we actually all have little practices that are our own form of meditation, whether it's cooking or going for a run or even reading. And so I tend to focus on those things where I first ask, what are you doing already to take care of yourself? And I think people are getting it more and more. And it's been actually the most surprising thing to me where um, when I was working at Thrive, then I never really open the door to that, but I would always say, oh, you know, I'm doing this breathwork training or I'm going to a sound bath later. And I was surprised by how many people were actually really curious about it or would say, oh, you know, I'm actually kind of interested in astrology right. or I've actually done breathwork and it changed my life. And it was people who you would never expect. And so I actually try never to force anything on anyone, but I leave the door open and I'm always pleasantly surprised about how open-minded people are about it, especially here in New York. Right. Well, and we've talked, as, as you mentioned earlier, about sort of the fitness boom and everything that, that's happening there. Certainly that has had a moment. And maybe it was a slow build that accelerated over the past 10 or so years, especially New York, Los Angeles, San Francisco, and other places. What's been the catalyst, do you think, for this uptake for more mindfulness, more openness to, to meditation, and a lot of the things that you're espousing? I think it's a real desire for authenticity. When we look at the news today and whenever I go on Twitter, I'm always encountered by deep fakes. I don't know if you've been following that, but we don't know what's real anymore. And there are all these scandals. Recently, I was reading about um, a Chinese blogger who was using face filtering technology. And then when it came out that she was a 45 year old mom and she was like not conventionally attractive, her fans had an uproar about it. They were like, I can't believe this. I don't even know you. And that's, I think, how people are feeling of 
there's so much social media, there's so many things that are bombarding us that we don't know if they're real or not. And there's this desire to return to what we know to be true. And that's honestly what's within. And so I think there's a shift happening from what's on the outside to more what's on the inside. And you see that with the younger generation. Mm -hmm. I love Gen Z. I think they're great. And when you look at their Instagram posts versus my generation, millennials, it's so different. We're always like millennials want to take the perfect selfie. They want to have the perfect beach location and the newest, hottest restaurant that no one's gone to yet and to be the first one there. And Gen Z wants to take a picture of themselves with no makeup and a really long two paragraph caption about how they're feeling that day and right. their whole inner world. And I think we're moving that direction. I think generations are always informed by each other. And there's this real backlash against this more superficial millennial, not to throw my own generation under the bus, right. but it right. is more superficial. And there's a backlash against that because it honestly doesn't make people happy. Right. And then you have people like me and Generation X just trying to get along and figure <laughs> out what all you kids are doing. But, you know, as you look into the corporate world, how does this change our relationship with work? Because there does seem to be something significant and fundamental going on, in part driven by millennials and Gen Z, but also, you know, my generation, the baby boomers aging up. We are looking at, at work differently. Is that a fundamental permanent change or are we just sort of going through a cycle like maybe we, we went through in the 1960s? I think that I think there's a, a yes and a no answer to this and the first part is I think we need to accept that work is going to be the place where people grow up because there's a dearth in religion and spirituality there's also a, um, a postponement of marriage and of having families and so those constructs of religion community and also being a parent or having um, a, a true life partner where we learned a lot of lessons those are being deferred well into our mid-30s and so our workplaces do become a place where we're learning all those skills we're learning how to have a sense of calm we're learning how to communicate we're learning how to give feedback we're learning to see other people's perspectives and that all happens at work and I saw that firsthand with all of our portfolio companies where you have these 22 to 35 year olds who work is the place where they learn all their lessons and all their interpersonal skills. So I think that will always exist as long as you know we're slowly deferring all these things in our lives. And then I also think know where um, as people are moving more towards self-care and as these things become more common, I think there will be a putting the foot down of people saying, I don't want to work 12 hour days anymore. Yeah. I don't want this to be the most important thing. I don't want to get emailed at all hours of the night. And so my hope is actually that we do achieve more of a work-life balance, but I think we also have to assume that work will be the primary way we discover who we are. Right. So you have managed to you know, create this nexus is something you're obviously very passionate about and, and really, as you say, you know, you can approach almost everything now you do from a personal perspective and a professional perspective, that lens that you created working at Thrive and, and other places and also this, this personal interest that you had. How do you balance it? Because everything really is the, the same for you. You know, you're practicing as you're building your business all of the things that, that are important to you. Do you worry about sort of those lines blurring and becoming too focused on the business or not focused enough? How do you, how do you balance that? That's a great question. Um, I, I, it's funny because now I work squarely in sort of the wellness and personal growth space, but I always think of myself as foundationally a business person. And I think that's part of the reason why reset works is because things that people might feel skeptical about, like an energetic portal, they know me and they're like, okay, this is a person who's basically been grinding in startups and venture capital for over a decade. And I'm 
pretty legit. You know, I work really hard and I, I, I actually am so interested in business and the way business operates because it's the bedrock of our civilization. Um, and so I think that as long as Reset is a reflection of me, I don't think it'll ever get unbalanced because yeah. um, I think about it a lot of whether or not um, I'm leaning too far business or too far holistic. But I think that honestly that will change and it'll go back and it's always a moving target. It's almost like a pendulum swinging back and forth and we all go through different seasons of what we need. And so do you see this, you know, going back to what we've talked about related to fitness. So where are we in the, in the growth of, of the business of mindfulness and, and more holistic approaches and all of the things, the self-care and, and wellness industry? I think we're just at the very beginning. And I know that we have meditation studios already and Calm and Headspace are these two apps that are doing so much in revenue every year. But in terms of the whole ecosystem that's out there, people haven't even begun to discover it. And we're just starting to tiptoe into it. Um, the New York Times had a great piece about when did sound baths become everywhere? Yeah. And then last weekend there was one about when did self-hair, self hair, self help become self-care and reset was actually featured in it as well and so you're just starting to see this every time i open a major publication i'm starting to see something about crystals about sound baths about goop and so i think we're in the very very beginning and the same thing with the fitness movement when i was reading your book what i realized is that even when people thought they were at saturation there was always another layer that could pop up and then another layer after that, and then another layer after that after that and i kind of think we are at peak boutique but who knows there might even be more right. and soul cycle is just even starting to get to all the middle parts of the country. Right. And so I think that we're at the very beginning and I hope that we look back and in 10 years, then all the things that Reset is bringing to people now will be ubiquitous and it'll be common to say, oh, it's 5 p.m., I'm gonna go to a sound bath instead right. of a happy hour. Well, and how much do you worry? I'm glad you brought up the sort of getting to the middle of the country because one of the knocks on the fitness movement, especially the boutique fitness movement, is that been that it's for the affluent, it's only for people who can afford it, both in terms of money and in terms of time, candidly, that the normal, average, everyday person in America doesn't have the time, the money, even if they have the interest. How does this broaden to a point where it's much more approachable and accessible? That has always been one of my main goals with Reset, and I think part of it is because of a venture capital mindset where you're always looking at, does this thing scale? Yeah. And it can't really be a business if it's not in the middle of the country. It's just not a business that way. It's just a business that you're creating for your other business school friends. And so there's this part of me that's always wanting scale. And it's also the humanitarian part of me that actually fundamentally believes that all this work should not just be for the affluent. I remember going to meditations, silent meditation retreats when I was younger. I used to go to one every month up in Massachusetts. It was the very first meditation center that was ever opened in the 70s. And everyone there was white and everyone there was affluent and everyone there could take off four days to go meditate silently in the woods and take long walks around the lake. And I don't want Reset to be that. And I feel so lucky that we live in an age where technology allows us to broaden it out. And I think Peloton is a great comparable where it's $40 a month, right? If you can afford the bike. And now we have amazing things like Affirm that allow you to pay for the bike over an installment plan. I think that's one of the greatest tech companies that's out there. It allows, it's actually a Thrive company, but it allows you to buy really big purchases that were for the affluent that you can distribute over a few months. And there's a low subscription fee. So 
so you, you, it actually makes it really tenable where you can sneak it in between taking care of your kids and then heading off to your job. And I want the same thing for Reset. We actually are going to launch Reset online in a couple of months, and it'll be the same sort of idea. And we're very much inspired by Peloton, this idea of how can we make this, make this accessible, right. but also make it a really rich experience because you need to create something really special to make a meaningful difference in people's lives. Biggest surprise for you so far in starting this business, sort of going out on your own, doing all the things that you helped other people do uh, for a long time. What, what's caught you off guard? I have been surprised by how much um, our corporate clients actually want Reset to help them with their customer base. So I'll give an example of that. So Outdoor Voices is a really great apparel brand. It sort of represents this millennial and Gen Z idea that we should just be moving all the time. And they brought Reset on to actually do workshops with their community and their customers. And so I originally thought Reset would be for our corporate clients bringing their employees in for a day of training, but it really has um, been that startups care so much about their customers mm. that they want to bring this stuff to their customers. So another client that we're going to be working with is called Alma. They're a venture-backed startup that is reimagining the therapist's office. And so they actually want us to come in and work with their therapists on self-care. And so I think that there's this um, understanding that we want to support our employees, but we also need to bring this work to our customers as well. And that was Liz Tran, the founder of Reset. Really a wide-ranging chat about where she came from, what she's doing, and why we all need a little bit of stillness in our life. Well, you've been listening to Bloomberg Business Week Extra. Be sure to tune in to Bloomberg Business Week Radio live Monday through Friday at 2 p.m. Wall Street time. I'm Jason Kelly. This is Bloomberg.